This is Rob Long with Martini Shot for The Ankler. I know someone who works in advertising, and on his first week on the job years ago, a more seasoned copywriter took him aside to give him some advice. They were both on their way to the creative director's office to pitch him some ideas for a new campaign. Now, listen, when you pitch your stuff to the big guy, the older seasoned copywriter said, don't put on a big razzle-dazzle. Don't make a big sales thing. Jim hates that. He just hates it. Just go in there, take your copy, put it on his desk, and let him read it. Don't say a word. So my friend goes into the office with his copy. He walks up to the creative director's desk. He gently puts it down in front of him and waits. The creative director looks baffled and irritated. He picks up the copy, he gives it a desultory read, and then he puts it aside. Okay, he says, I've read that. And then he turns to the more seasoned copywriter and says, what have you got? Well, Jim, says the copywriter, here's what I've got. And then he springs to life. Fade in, a golden morning, the dew-flecked wheat tosses and waves in the gentle breeze. And then, what's that? A simple melody on the piano. It's warm like the morning sunlight. And then into frame, a glistening silver greyhound bus. A handsome boy in an army uniform watches intently out of the window. A smiling bus driver, an old lady knitting, gives the boy a wink. And the bus pulls up to a bright red and white diner. And he steps out. And the piano melody becomes warmer, softer. And there she is, his girl. They embrace. The other passengers watch them, smiling and cheering. The bus pulls away. Greyhound. Because it's good to be home. Well, you know how this turns out, right? The seasoned copywriter gets the raise, and my friend learns a very valuable lesson. One of the first rules of show business is never go first. I thought of that when I heard about an actor I know who fired his agent. What he said in public was, well, I just felt like I was a little more in sync with, and there he named the new agent and the new agency. But in private, what he was telling everyone was that his old agent was just too negative, just too pessimistic, just too much of a downer. Now, what this actor does not know, and what I am certainly not going to be the one to tell him either, is that for the past year or so, his manager, see, a lot of actors have managers and agents, and sometimes they all get along, but mostly because of credit issues and producer's fee issues and package fee issues, they do not get along. And in this case, they didn't. Only the agent didn't know that they didn't. So for the past year, the actor's manager was telling the actor's agent, You know what the actor really likes about you? You're honest. You're a straight shooter. You tell it like it is. You're cautious, but you always make sure he's aware of the downside of every decision. So for the past year, the agent has been really laying it on thick with the actor. You know, this project's not going to work. That project's not going to go. This movie is too expensive. That director's not a fan of yours. Until finally the actor had had enough He fired the agent and told his manager to help him find another one, which the manager, of course, did. A new agent, one that's upbeat and positive, and especially one that's grateful to the manager and easygoing with the manager about things like credit and package fees and producer's fees. And that's another show business rule. Never let somebody else tell you what somebody else wants. This is because people always pretend to know things they don't, but it's also because nobody really knows exactly what they want anyway. 
For instance, a friend of mine pitched a show to a network and they did not buy it. Now, this is not a sad story because another network did want it. So, you know, no tears. But for the six days between the first network saying no and the second network saying yes, he had time to sit and stew and second guess the show he was pitching. We just felt like there was too much conflict between the parent character and the child character and not enough interaction between the workplace setting and the home setting, is what the network said when they passed on the project. Just a string of meaningless words, really, but sometimes what you want to say just wasn't for us. You simply can't say because that just sounds so, you know, capricious and subjective and unprofessional. And even though this entire business, huge fortunes have been made and lost and made again based entirely on decisions that were capricious and subjective and unprofessional. And in fact, every really important decision in the entire industry, when you get right down to it, is capricious and subjective and unprofessional. But no one wants to admit that or face up to it. So when the agent or studio calls you up and asks you for an explanation of why you passed on a project, instead of saying, eh, it just wasn't for us, you end up saying something incoherent and silly like, we just felt that there was too much conflict between the parent character and the child character and not enough interaction between the workplace setting and the home setting. But see, the writer doesn't know that. It was impossible for him to say to himself, okay, this one just wasn't for them. So instead, he just sat and muttered to himself and thought, okay... More interaction between workplace and home, less conflict. I can do that. I can do that. But of course, he couldn't do that, so he spent five days just driving himself crazy. But some problems, you know, aren't problems. And when he finally snapped and just pitched the same show the same way to a different set of executives and made a sale, he realized how this town really works. Most explanations are meaningless. So, you know, don't ask for them. That's another show business rule, by the way. Actors spend a lot of time worrying about which headshot to use. They'll fret over the right smile or eyebrow angle. They'll wonder if the jeans are too casual or if the shirt is too young dad or maybe it is too young dad and they're just not ready to go for those kinds of parts and give up the boyfriend roles. I mean, I know an actress who basically focus grouped her headshot through a Facebook post, which was admirably efficient, trying to pinpoint a specific age and personality. She wanted her headshot to say, she told her network, that she's the right person to play a smart, creative woman working in the areas of fashion and technology whose birthday falls between January 1995 and October 1996. Now, when you're an actor, the trick is to appear to be exactly what they're looking for. Your job is to wait until someone calls for you. And then you show up to an audition and you ask for permission to perform the role. It's mostly a career built on waiting and asking, which is why many actors seem a little weirdly angry when they finally do make it big. What are they so angry about, we ask ourselves. I think it's maybe about all those years they spent waiting, tweaking headshots and worrying about hairlines, followed by all of those years asking permission, which is a fancy way of saying pleading, which is a fancy way of saying begging for the job. Writers do it too, so does everyone in a way. If we all total up the hours we spend waiting and then asking for permission to do things, to write a script or open a business or launch a product, we'd probably all resemble one of those inexplicably furious movie stars. Young writers sometimes fall into the trap of thinking their agent is their boss. It's natural, I suppose. They work and scheme and plot and finally land that big agent, someone with an office with actual art on the walls, someone with an assistant and a building with validated parking, someone at one of those big agencies, which is a phrase more and more meaningless. But, well, you know, it's like headshots. It's comforting sometimes to have something concrete to worry about. And then when they land that agent, they think, okay, well, now now it's all going to happen for me. The thing is, it's not. Or at least, 
not automatically. What writers and actors and probably everybody else in the world are really looking for is a boss, someone just to tell you what to do, what's expected of you, when to show up, when to clock out. I mean, having a boss is a terrible pain, of course, but it's also a way to eliminate the waiting and the asking and the uncertainty of this most uncertain business. Just tell me what you want me to write or look like or wear and I'll do it. Just please, don't make me wonder. Now, bosses, as we all know, don't really exist the way we wish they did. In the first place, all of them have bosses of their own, people breathing down their necks about ratings or profits or stock prices. And in the second place, when an actor walks into a casting session or a writer into a pitch meeting or anyone into a job interview, the person on the other side of the coffee table or desk doesn't know what he or she wants, except, you know, for an end to the problems, for a way out of this mess for just one fewer thing to worry about at three in the morning. Where are the buckets of solve? A high-tech, high-flying CEO once barked at underlings, tapping on a spreadsheet. And that's a phrase I've always loved. Buckets of solve. I used to do yoga three times a week, and then I stopped. And people sometimes ask me, why did you stop doing yoga? And I always tell them the truth because it was having a positive and uplifting effect on my life. Which is something you either get or you don't. But the point is, I still think yoga is a really great thing to do, and someday I'm going to get back into the habit. But in the meantime, I happily and enthusiastically recommend it to everyone I know. In the same way, I often tell writer friends of mine when a pitch hasn't gone well or a project of theirs hasn't sold, that they shouldn't be so quick to give other people in the television business, people in offices with office politics and complicated corporate directives, the absolute power to decide which scripts they're going to write and which ones they aren't. Don't go in there and ask permission to write this, I'll tell writers as they prepare to pitch a project. They don't get to say no. I mean, yeah, they, yes, they do get to say no, no to the question, will you promise to pay me for this? But that's a highly specific question in which the answer no can mean a lot of things from we're out of money to we don't like you to you pitched this weird to I'm having a bad day to I'm not supposed to be saying yes to things like this to and this is always a big possibility. That is a really terrible idea. But my advice is ask yourself, is this something you'd write anyway? Because if it is, write it. And if it's not, why were you pitching it? And look, if you write it, maybe a few months later, it'll get a better reception. Maybe all it needed was to be physically there, an actual script rather than a notion. I know a lot of people who sit behind desks at networks and studios and decide what things to buy and what things to pass on. And I really can't think of one of them who wouldn't buy a script they liked after passing on a pitch they didn't. They won't ever say the dialogue that every writer has written in his or her mind for this kind of situation. I can't believe we were so blind and foolish and passed on this amazing project and your luminous talent. I mean, we all have our own words. Those are mine. But you get the idea. It's more likely they'll say, you know, if you'd pitch it like this, we would have bought it then. Which is probably a lot closer to the truth. But I have given that advice. Write the script. Do the yoga. Enough times that you'd think I'd take it myself, except that more than once... A show idea I really thought would be smart and funny and different that might actually be a show people think about and talk about and feel echoes of in their own lives, I just couldn't get anyone interested in. Maybe I pitched them wrong. Maybe it was the wrong day or maybe some other invisible constellation of things lined up against them. There aren't any explanations here that work. See rules number one and two. I just failed. 
which has an unpleasant and stinging sensation to say in public. We're not really supposed to talk about failure, I don't think, in the entertainment industry. We sometimes think it's contagious, that you can catch it, or that talking about it makes it more likely to keep happening. But I'm really not a superstitious person. And what's the point, anyway, of going to Costa Rica, as I recently did, and drinking a lot of ayahuasca, as I recently did, if you're just going to go back to terrified and ashamed Hollywood weasel wording? When other people don't sell a pitch, the advice I give them is don't let anyone else give you permission or withhold permission to write what you want to write. If they didn't buy it, when you made the rounds to pitch it, write it anyway. And if it's terrible and it turns out everyone else was right, you know, don't send it out. But if it's great and you were right all along, that's a pretty good feeling. Almost as good as doing yoga three times a week, or so I'm told. And that's it for this week. Next week, we will learn to throw it away. For The Ankler, this is Rob Long with Martini Shot.